This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Guardians Weekly on the Cleveland Guardians Radio Network. Guardians Weekly is brought to you by Progressive, helping Guardians fans save hundreds on car insurance. everyone and welcome to guardians weekly if you're tuning in and wondering why you don't hear our good pal rosie no need to fear jim will be back next week i'm cleveland guardians team historian jeremy fedor and i'll be filling in and joining you from progressive field here in downtown cleveland on this week's episode i will be joined by the one and only bob DiBiasio as we talk about the late great baseball hall of famer gaylord perry gaylord passed away this week at 84 years old Gaylord Perry really holds such a special place in not only baseball history, but also in Cleveland baseball history. Such a colorful career, especially with his use of the spitball, and also being the first Cy Young Award winner for the Cleveland organization. And, uh, you know, he really set a continuation of this rich pitching baseball history, starting all the way back with Addie Joss to Bob Feller to Gaylord to now Tristan McKenzie. And what better person to chat with than Bobby D, who got to know Gaylord very well over his uh, playing career and post-playing career. Also, you're going to want to stay tuned as we revisit a late-season clash between the Guardians and the White Sox from an absolutely critical stretch of baseball that saw the Guardians create separation in the standings and going on that run that eventually led to the 2022 Central Division title. And we invite you to stay tuned as we get rolling on Guardians Weekly on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. Well, folks, you've waited for this. Don't let it slip by without being a part of it. Progressive's Home Court Explorer lets you easily compare our direct rates with multiple companies. Now that we've covered something you could do, it's time for sports stuff you definitely could not do. If you were head coach, you would not have gone for it on fourth down. Your confidence in your play calling ability might be a little overblown, considering you're barely confident of which restaurant to order takeout from, let alone choosing a play in front of 70,000 screaming fans. But you definitely can use Progressive's Home Court Explorer to easily compare rates. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. 
Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Guardians Weekly. This is Guardians team historian Jeremy Fedor filling in for Jim Rosenhaus. I am now joined by Cleveland Guardians Senior Vice President of Public Affairs, Bob DiBiasio. Bob, how's it going? Doing great, Jeremy. It's awfully nice of you to pinch hit for Mr. Rosenhaus, who a little bit under the weather, so uh, awfully nice of you. Big shoes to fill with uh, Rosie, but I'm going to do my best. And uh, as the theme of this show so far has been, we're remembering the late, great Gaylord Perry, a baseball Hall of Famer. And I want to start this off. I went through the Plain Dealer archives because that's just what I do. And I wanted to kind of see what the reaction was. Now, you weren't working for the club at the time when Gaylord was traded to Cleveland, but you were a fan. And the uh, Hal Leibovitz wrote an article and more or less was looking at the trade as something, you know, like even today when you make these trades, you just don't know what's going to happen. And he said about Gaylord, in Perry, the Indians obtained one of the most competitive pitchers in the majors. He doesn't have McDowell's stuff. Instead, he relies on control and cunning. He fights the hitter on every pitch, never giving in to him. The big negative is that he doesn't have many years of pitching left, which uh, <laughs> now in retrospect is uh, one of those uh, things you look back on and you say, well, little did he know. So what do you remember? Because, again, Sam McDowell was such a big name in, in Cleveland baseball history at the time. Well, what I remember is when you lo- lose a, a fan favorite like Sam McDowell, uh, who was the next, uh, not only the next Herb scorer, but possibly the next Bob Feller, one of the most dominating pitchers uh, uh, in the uh, major leagues at the time, but, you know, had some personal demons that he uh, certainly has talked about uh, in his uh, days after playing in the big league level. Uh, So you're a little bit curious as to what the team's thoughts are whenever one of the fan favorites is is traded away. I was a teenager in 1972 uh, uh, in high school at Lakewood High, and and we made an effort to try to get to as many of Gaylord's starts as possible, especially when summertime hit, when school was out. Uh, he was on such an incredible role in that first year in 1972 with our franchise. Um, and Jeremy, you are an absolute lover, as I am, of, of statistics and, and baseball history. And you think back on the 1972 season that he had, getting to know him and considering him and being honored to call him a, a close friend. Uh, through all these years working for the organization, he was quick to say that the 1972 season was his finest in 22 years of pitching in big league baseball. And I mentioned it earlier. I had the opportunity to meet Gaylord once or twice. And I remember um, when he came to the ballpark, we sat down with him and he started telling stories. What, what do you remember about Gaylord, the stories he told and, you know, the, I mean, you, you knew him when actually, when did you get to know him? Let's start there. When was the first time, you know, he was an opposing pitcher by the time you started working for the club and when did you get to know Gaylord? Well, you know, your first few times running into him and how did that develop? Well, it developed when 
my first year was 1979. So he's a, um, doesn't come over to the American League in, until 1980, come back to the American League when I was working in big league baseball until 1980 and 81, 82, 83. And so always made it a point to go up and say hello to those players that I watched growing up that were still playing to just begin a relationship, whatever level that would, you know, happen at. So in the early 80s, and then uh, when he retired from baseball and would do some various public appearances, uh, we would call on him on occasion. Uh, and then when we really ramped our alumni ambassador program, uh, he was one of the first guys we thought of because we, we knew following his Hall of Fame induction that he was interested in and being a storyteller and connecting with fans, especially at places where he put the uniform on. So that's how I got to know him. And and then we'd have him back every year. Nate Genoso, who was in charge of our alumni relations, uh, had a really close relationship with, with Gaylord as well. So we would have him back every year. And I again, I will tell you that there was not a single conversation that didn't include the fact that he felt 1972 in the Cleveland uniform was his greatest. And he always talked about the fact that he was involved in every decision when he took the mound. 41 appearances, 40 starts. He's 24 and 16 so in his 40 starts, he was involved in every decision, win or loss, led the league with 24 wins, 29 complete games. And that one relief appearance, he saved the game. So he was involved in the decision in every game that he pitched, which doesn't happen. And then he would say, you know, it was the only time in my 22 years I was below uh, an ERA below two at 1.92, pitching 340 some innings or whatever it was. As you got to know him, as I did, biggest hands ever, just big, strong guy. Rick Manning will tell you he was as mean as a hornet when he was on the mound. Uh, but the stories, Jeremy, the ones that he would tell that he got the biggest laugh at, there was a period of time when the other team would take batting practice, the opposing team, and he's pitching that night, and the opposing team is taking batting practice, and he would lather up his right hand with Vaseline, and he'd meander around the batting cage and go up to a few of the hitters and shake their hand and say hello, and his hand was filled with Vaseline, just to put it in, his in their heads that, this might be part of what you're going to be involved with today. Whenever an immediate person would ask him about spitball and putting Vaseline on a ball, he'd say, hey, that's for me to know and the hitter to worry about. You know, and it seems like that uh, that mental factor of getting in the, the hitter's head was probably as valuable as putting something on the ball because, you know, when you're uh, up at plate and you know this guy's got something going on but he doesn't always have to throw it because like you said he's he's 
there before the game kind of messing with guys. And I remember, again, we got to talk to Ray Fossey and Ray would have some stories about catching Gaylord. And, uh, you know, Ray was a great storyteller. And I do remember Ray telling a story about Gaylord and a department store named Gaylord that <laughs> they filmed a commercial uh, and, and Ray loved to tell that story. Oh, one of the all-time best. One of the fun parts of my job when we had Sports Time Ohio, I did the alumni roundtable television shows, and there was one show where I had Mike Egan, Ray Fossey, Rich Rollins, and Gary Roggenberg. And Gary was a pitcher, Mike first baseman, obviously Ray a catcher, Rich Rollins a third baseman. So one of the questions I had round Robin was, okay, all you four gentlemen, you know, had meetings on the mound for whatever reason, a pitching change or something going on, go around the table here and tell me what was the oddest thing that you ever dealt with when there was a meeting on the mound. And Ray Fossey told the most remarkable, fun story. As you mentioned, there was a hardware store in the east side of Cleveland by the name of Gaylords, and they had their own Vaseline. Gaylord's Vaseline. And Gaylord Perry was a pitchman, a spokesperson for Gaylord's Vaseline, if you can imagine how awesome that is. And so they're filming a commercial and Ray Fossey's behind the plate. They even got, I think it was Bill Haller, a, a well-known major league umpire to be in the commercial. And obviously Gaylord on the mound and they're shooting this commercial. Well, the next night, Gaylord's the starting pitcher. Ray is behind the plate, and Bill Haller is the, happens to be the home plate ump that night. And for the life of me, Jeremy, I can't remember who in the heck we were playing that game and who their man, the opposing manager was. But Ray says from the first pitch, the opposing manager is screaming at Bill Haller to go out to the mound and check Gaylord. So in about third, fourth inning, Opposing manager just jumps out of the dugout, doesn't even call time, runs out to the mound. So the ump has to call time. Now Ray Fossey and the ump are walking towards pitcher's mound because here comes the opposing manager trying to grab Gaylord's hat and screaming at him and screaming at the ump. And all of a sudden Ray tells the story that Bill Haller, Ray Fossey, and Gaylord Perry start reciting the advertisement. They get into script and do exactly what they did the day before. And this just infuriated the opposing manager more and more and got so mad he just turned around and walked into the dugout. And Ray said he and Haller were laughing their heads off as they went back and got in position behind home plate that's just one of the beautiful stories in our wonderful game of baseball. And, you know, we were fortunate and I was going through some old pictures too of having Gaylord, like you said, around the ballpark, whether it was his induction into the then Indians hall of fame, or after Corey Kluber had won his first Cy Young, having Gaylord throw out the first pitch. Do you have, you know, many fond memories of those situations or those events we've done? Yeah. You know, it was funny because again, Rick Manning would say, Oh my goodness. You know, those of us outfielders, if we made an error behind him, 
we didn't always hear every word uh, because he was as mean as a hornet when he was on the mound. They always talked about how the infielders who ended up making an error and he would stare him down and say certain things to him. So when we were in the initial stages of working with Gaylord and, and having him in front of crowds, I wasn't 100% sure if I was dealing with the mean as a hornet guy or the great storyteller. And I learned very quickly, he absolutely loved telling stories about his 22 years in the big leagues. and But I found him an incredibly engaging, fun guy, so proud as most all of them. Every man who has put on a big league uniform, how proud they were to be a big leaguer and then how proud they were to be honored as an inductee into the National Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. And we are going to miss him so terribly. Last couple of years, uh, he'd been wheelchair bound and wasn't able to make it to the ballpark. But we're very fortunate here in Cleveland that of the number of teams that he played with, uh, that one of them was Cleveland and that he put on a, a Cleveland uniform, won uh, his first Cy Young Award uh, with us, the first Cy Young Award in our franchise history. Just a, an, an engaging a wonderful storyteller. You know, and we'll we'll wrap this up soon, but it's funny that there's that expression that, you know, history tends to repeat itself. And I think it it's going to be impossible to forget about Gaylord after every time a pitcher leaves the mound and the umpire goes nowadays and <laughs> checks their hands and their hair. And, you know, it makes you wonder back in the seventies, if that were a rule, how long uh, or how Gaylord would have, would have handled that. But just some final thoughts on the legacy of Gaylord Perry. I mean, I don't think you'll ever see another guy like Gaylord and, you know, the one no. and only. Yeah, no, I agree. Again, when, when I think of Gaylord, I think of two things. I think one as a, a young teenager, you know, who was in love with his hometown baseball team, having the opportunity to sneak down behind home plate and watch a guy of that magnitude perform for three and a half years in, in our uniform is one of the highlights and then get to later in life, get to call him a friend and have the ability to just sit and talk and actually feel comfortable enough to ask him, where did you hide it? <laughs> where, where did you hide that Vaseline? And he would just smirk and smile and, and say, that's not for you to know. That's for me to know. <laughs> and, um, those conversations that again you were privy to he just was such an engaging man and, and may he rest in peace well bobby thanks again for joining and and pinch hitting with me for rosie as we uh discuss the the life and legacy of, of gaylord perry it's been it's always fun to talk baseball with you as you know we do every day but uh thank you for this and if everyone wants to stay tuned uh we got some more uh guardians weekly here on the cleveland clinic guardians radio network Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best 
stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. And welcome back to Guardians Weekly. This is Guardians team historian Jeremy Fedor filling in for Jim Rosenhaus. We're going to go back into the archives and pull up an interview that Bobby and Gaylord had recorded several years ago. Ground ball towards second. Jerry Brown has it. The short one out. Back to first. Double play. Game is over. It's time for another Tribe Tale with Indians Vice President Bob DiBiasio. Joining me now on Tribe Tales is one of the greatest names in baseball history, Hall of Fame pitcher Gaylord Perry. Gaylord, thanks for taking the time to be with us, sir. Well, thanks for having me on. I'm down here at Myrtle Beach, and it's raining, so I have nothing else to do. (laughs) That's beautiful. Let's dive in. We'll start with your Major League debut at the San Francisco Giants in 1962. It was against the Cincinnati Reds, and you joined a ball club that was headed to the World Series with players such as Willie Mays, Juan Marichal, Jack Sanford, Billy O'Dell. What was that like as a 23-year-old? Well, it was pretty awesome, I tell you, because you had the greatest player playing the game, Willie Mays in the center, and the most feared hitter in Willie McCovey at first, Tyler and Baylor Ketchin and Marichal and Billy Pierce and Bob Bowen. We had a, a great team, and you'd think it was tough getting there. It wasn't so tough getting there, but it was heck of a thing to stay there. Your career spanned 22 seasons, four with the Cleveland Indians, and you achieved two of the most magical pitching milestones. 314 wins, and 3,500 strikeouts. What do you remember most about your Hall of Fame career? Well, you know, making it with the Giants and, uh, you know, we're getting the World Series and playoffs and uh, playing with such great players. And then, uh, you know, the first time you get traded, uh, just one of those things that uh, you had nothing to do with. And I go over to Cleveland and – we set up a game plan, and the, the guys really played well. Uh, I, I started 40 games, had 40 decisions, and had one save also. So uh, it, it was my best year. And uh, But without the other eight guys out there and a bunch of guys on the bench to come in and pinch it and make some good plays out there, that wouldn't have been possible. Well, let's talk about your time with the Cleveland Indians, 1972 through 1975. You know, you won 20 games five times in your career. Twice here in Cleveland. You had 24 wins in 72 and 21 in 1974. The last time a Tribe Hurler has won 20 games. You were a five-time All-Star, twice in Cleveland, and a two-time Cy Young Award winner, once with the Tribe. You had some fun in Cleveland, didn't you? Yeah, it 
was, uh, well, not a whole lot to do in Cleveland, <laughs> 72, <laughs> 3, and 4. So I just played baseball, and my family would drive up, and uh, we stayed down in Strongsville. And when they'd go on the road, my family would get in the car and drive to the farm in North Carolina and stay there, and we'd come back. They'd come back up. So it, it was great for a whole family affair. We're visiting with Hall of Fame pitcher Gaylord Perry here on Tribe Tales. When you were with us at that special season ticket holder event, you shared with us a story about how at uh, various times you would get into the opposing hitters' heads on the day before a game. Would you share that story with us? Well, I would feel like the day before I would go over and shake the guy's opponent's hand and say, hey, good to see you. And, and they'd say, what are you doing, Gaylor? I just had my hand covered in, in grease or Vaseline or something <laughs> like that. And I said, just getting ready for tomorrow night, you know. And they would be thinking about it all night and all day the next day, you know. <laughs> so they wouldn't shake hands with me the next time around. So, you know, it was, uh, it was a fun thing. We... You know, they, they took it a, a, as a sporting event. They did a few things to me like, hey, I got a cork bet tonight. I'm going to get you. And I said, that's, that's fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> Legend has it that you or one of your managers, when talking about your hitting ability, stated that they would put a man on the moon before you hit a home run. Take the story from there, will you? Well, I was in like 64. And uh, Harry Jupiter, a writer from San Francisco Examiner, afternoon paper, uh, said, hey, Alvin. They see a prairie kid is going you know, to home runs. He's hitting the ball out in band practice. And he turned around and says, I can't tell you what he exactly said, but he said, it won't be, it'll be a man on the moon before he hits a home run. And uh, as you know, the man landed on the moon in 69. I was on the mound in Candlestick Park against the Dodgers in Cloud Osteen. And we had a moment of salad. I remember it like it was, it was today. And uh, 30 minutes later, I hit my first home run. True story. It's unbelievable. July 20th, 1969, April 11, manned by Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, land on the moon. Minutes later on the West Coast, you hit your very first major league home run. That is a terrific story. And I also won the game, too. That was more important. Gaylord, it was wonderful catching up with you, sir. And on behalf of Tribe fans everywhere, we wish you the very, very best. Thanks a lot, Bob. Nice talking with you. And when we return, we are going to go back to September and that Guardians-White Sox-Tristan McKenzie-Lance Lynn game that was right in that crucial part of the run-up to the Central Division title. So stay with us here on Guardians Weekly on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. When you bundle your renters and auto insurance with Progressive, you could save money, but it doesn't cover any terrible memories living rent-free in your head. Hey, I noticed it's been a few minutes since you thought about when your quarterback ran into his own teammate and fumbled, technically forcing his own fumble, and then the other team took it in for a score, and then you couldn't turn on the TV for a month without being constantly reminded of the time your quarterback sacked himself and fumbled. Sorry, we can't save you from that memory, but we could save you money bundling your renters and auto insurance with Progressive. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Renters insurance and bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And welcome back to Guardians Weekly. This is Guardians team historian Jeremy Fedor filling in for Jim Rosenhaus. 
If you remember, back to September 21st, the Guardians were near the end of a nine-game stretch of games against the White Sox and Twins. After taking four out of five against Minnesota, the Guards won an epic 11-inning contest against the White Sox. Now we pick it up the next day with Tristan McKenzie on the mound as the 81-67 Guardians took on the 76-72 and White Sox, who trailed Cleveland by six games. As he did so many times, Stephen Kwan got things started, leading off the first inning. Now Lance Lynn with that abbreviated wind and pitch, and it's swung on, lined into right, there's a base hit. And the hit machine continues. Stephen Kwan with another base hit after four last night. That gives him 151 hits in his rookie campaign. And the last Cleveland baseball player with 150 hits or more in a rookie season, Kenny Lofton. And that was 30 years ago. Ahmed Rosario followed with a base hit to move Quan up to third. And then a wild pitch from Lance Lynn gave the Guardians a one to nothing lead. They weren't finished yet in that first inning. Andres Jimenez grounds it to third, backhanded, knocked down by Moncada, but he doesn't field it cleanly. Rolls into foul ground, into scores, Naylor. Gonzalez goes to second. And that'll be an RBI base hit for Jimenez. Now it's two to nothing. But again, Moncada is having a brutal first inning. In the bottom of the first, Will Brennan making his major league debut, getting the start in right field. He was tested immediately with Chicago's Elvis Andrus leading off. The pitch swung on, hit on the line toward the line and right. Brennan, knee slide, foul ground, caught it. What a play by Will Brennan in his major league debut in right field. He went to a knee slide as he crossed into foul territory. And Will Brennan made a terrific catch. In the third, the first two Guardian hitters would reach, and then Andres Jimenez delivered once again. Now the 2-0. Swung on line drive, base hit to center. Naylor is going to score, and stopping at second is Gonzalez. It is 3-0 Cleveland. And Jimenez with two hits, two RBIs tonight. That's 65 runs driven in, and Cleveland has got their second unearned run of the game. Again, thanks to the worst defense in the American League. And then it was Will Brennan, after grounding out in the first, his second major league at bat provided a lifetime memory for him. Lynn taking a long, long look in. The right-hander checks second, comes to the plate. The pitch banged up the middle. There's a base hit into center. Gonzalez will score on his way to third as Jimenez. And Will Brennan in his second major league at bat has his parents and grandparents with smiles from here to Kansas City. Four nothing Guardians. And Will Brennan now 108 RBIs in 2022. One of those in the big leagues. The Guardians would add one more in that third inning. The pitch. Swung on, grounded weakly up the middle behind second field by Andrews. Steps on the bag, throws to first, double play. In to score is Jimenez. No RBI, but Cleveland gets another run home, and the Guardians have a 5-0 lead. And then in the fourth, Stephen Kwan continued to show what he can do. Here's Lynn's pitch, and Kwan swings and launches high and deep to right. Way back, 
Home run, Stephen Kwan. Number five for Kwan, and the Guardians now lead at 6-0. He is not a noted home run hitter. He's a contact hitter, but he's been saying since spring training that the part of his game that he's added to, if there's a pitch there that he can drive, especially early in the count, he will let it go. And, man, did he get a hold of one right there. A towering shot into the stands and right. It was 6-1 to one Guardians in the seventh when Josh Naylor removed all doubt. Now Naylor awaiting the 1-0 pitch. Here it comes. Swung on. This is drilled. Deep right center field. This ball is gone. A line drive two-run home run to right center. And Josh Naylor continues to be a one-man wrecking crew against the White Sox. He gives Cleveland an 8-1 lead. His fourth home run against the White Sox this year. He now has 19 RBIs against the White Sox this season. Later in the seventh, Will Brennan at the plate continued his impressive debut. Brennan, the former Kansas State Wildcat, where he was also a darn good pitcher, both a starter and a closer. He swings, bangs one through the right side into right field. It's a base hit. Hitting second, scampering to third is Jimenez. Throwback to first, Brennan back with a head first dive. And he's got a two-hit game in his big league debut. And that'll get the mom and dad and the grandparents up roaring again. Again, Will Brennan grew up just south of Kansas City in Stillwell. That's considered a Kansas City suburb. Then he went to Manhattan, Kansas, about two, two and a half hours away from Kansas City where he played at Kansas State. And Cleveland made him an eighth round pick. He's been a hitting machine in the minors this year. Nothing's changed here in the big league debut, two for four. Meanwhile, on the mound, Tristan McKenzie put together one of his best outings of the season. Now the pitch. Swung on, rolled by the mound. Second baseman Jimenez scoops, throws, and boy does Tristan McKenzie look good tonight. Here's the 1-0. Swung on, popped him up. High in the air to right. Under it is Brennan, and he makes the catch to retire the side. Another smooth inning for Tristan McKenzie. The pitch swung on and missed. So McKenzie strikes out Abreu, 13 in the game. We'll go to the ninth, and the Guardians have just about sucked the life out of this White Sox club. In the ninth, James Karinchek was on to finish it up. The pitch swung on a line drive to center. Miles Straw is there. Ball game. And the Guardians have all but eliminated Chicago from Central Division title consideration. Cleveland beats up the White Sox tonight 8-2. The Guardians, in essence, have put the White Sox seven games out of first because of the tiebreaker. And the Guardians' magic number to clinching the division title is down to seven. Cleveland beats up on Chicago 8-2. to two. The next day, we caught up with Will Brennan, and he talked about the emotions he felt after his first big league game. When my family came down on the field, I think I uh, was able to you know, look up and look at the entire stadium and take a breath and soak it all in. And 
it was just a, a special moment to have them on the field with me. Yeah. I saw you down there, and, and, and what goes through your mind when, when you see them initially? Is it hard to keep your emotions in check? Absolutely. I, I mean, I couldn't find them during the game. Um, I could hear them, but I couldn't find them. And uh, it was like playing Where's Waldo. But when I saw them, it was immediate tears from me, my grandma, and my mom. We just embraced, and it was a special moment. When you look at last night, I mean, you're right in a pennant race, so it, it's not like it's a September call-up for a team that's struggling and, and you get a chance to play. I mean, you're counted on to do some things. And uh, did you welcome that because of, of the type of team this is? 100%. I mean, pressure creates diamonds, and, you know, we, we want to win the Central and then, you know, go make a playoff push. And I think I, uh, I'm going to help this team win best I can, and that's all I'm going to do. You hear people say, hey, just treat it like any other game wherever you've played in your career. Hard to do that, though, and, and were you able to do that last night? After my first at-bat, I think I settled in nicely. Um, it's funny, the first play of the game, you know, it's hit to me, and it's the ball will the ball will find you. But um, it is. It's the same game, just on a, a grander scale, more a little bit more pressure, and yeah, yeah. You had a wonderful season in the minor leagues. Uh, how challenging is it when you're putting up those numbers and you're seeing other players get an opportunity in the major leagues to, to really stay focused down there? Well, we were in the midst of our playoff run as well. So I just, the type of player that I am, I just want to win. And uh, I'm going to do that every day for my team. So it, it wasn't challenging at all to stay focused. And, you know, my, my time was going to come. And thank goodness it came on the, the 21st of September. But it wasn't hard at all just because I know that, you know, the type of player I am, I was going to stay focused no matter what. You had a good season last year, and, and you go into spring training this year, obviously looking to build on that. What areas of growth do you think you had at the minor league level this year that got you here? You know, working really closely with our play development and our hitting development guys. Um, really put a focus on defense. I know that Tito loves defense and the little things and base running. And then obviously hitting-wise, I, um, I just went up there and just was myself. Um, didn't try to do too much. I know in the past I'll get in trouble by trying to do too much, and I just I knew who I was and wanted to help my team win, and that's what I did. And you come up here and you see familiar faces. Uh, how much does that help? Oh, it helps a lot. Um, the transition to, to being with Quan again and Benson and Freeman. We all played together in Double A last year, so like it's it's crazy how that process works in itself, but. Um, way easier of a transition than going to a, a new locker room with new guys where you're going to have to maybe put a little pressure on yourself to try a little bit harder. You don't have to do that in this situation because those guys know who you are and, and how you play the game. So, Stephen Kwan's had a big season and uh, had another just tremendous game last night. And I know Terry Francona had mentioned there's some similarities there. Uh, honored to be in that conversation the, the way it's gone for him in his rookie season yeah that's I mean that's honestly too gracious Quan's on a different level as a player um, I have a lot of work to do but um, what he does is special day in and day out and now I get to, to witness it in person you know we got to see it on, in, on the TV in Columbus but now I'm seeing it in person and I mean he's same kind of guy you know he he knows his role and he's gonna execute and that's what he does you mentioned seeing him on TV in Columbus how closely do the players there follow what's going on here? And, and maybe it's easier now in this day and age of every game being on TV and, and readily available no matter where you are. It, I mean, we, we lock in on these games. We, we play with a bunch of these guys, and, you know, people are bouncing up and down. And, and I think that's just a testament to the guys in this organization. People care about each other. They want to see people succeed and see, see them succeed at the highest level possible. So 
um, yeah, we put a lot of focus on. We always have a Guardians game going on during our game, and people are going up and down in the clubhouse. It's always on to watch and see these guys do a thing. I'm guessing a ton of moments yesterday you'll remember forever. Is there a top one? First hit off Lancelin's pretty cool, um, but that the catch to start the game you can't you can't write that up any any better. Uh, it was fun to watch. Will, thanks a lot for coming back. Thank you very much. Appreciate you. And that's gonna do it for Guardians Weekly. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next week, this is the Guardians team historian Jeremy Fedor filling in for Jim Rosenhaus on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. Guardians Weekly has been brought to you by Progressive, helping Guardians fans save hundreds on car insurance.